Hey, I'm Pastor Daniel, and welcome to The Debrief. This is a series of episodes on our podcast intended to help you take the sermon further into your week and deeper into your life. And this past Sunday, we dealt with the issue of suicide, and we had a special video of Mandy Smith sharing her testimony about how suicide has affected her family, and it was just very powerful. And there was so much that she shared with us that we weren't able to include uh, in that, and so we wanted to give you the longer version of her testimony uh, here on The Debrief. We're going to give you the extended version of Mandy's testimony, by a discussion between me and Pastor Eric about the message on suicide. All right, we're recording, but we have plenty of hours of tape, so if you say something you don't like what you said, it we can say it again. No <laughs> pressures, not live. Um, well, there's pressure anyway, but <laughs> sure. Yeah, but don't feel pressure to uh, be perfect or anything like that. Okay. Okay, so I would say um, start where you're comfortable, you know, from the beginning. Well, I think that um, one of the most terrible things that a child can ever see is their parent hanging. At six years old, that's what I saw. That's what I found after school one day with my brother, and uh, it changed my life forever. I have three older brothers and an older sister. Uh, one older brother was living with us at the time. Other siblings were much older. I don't understand how someone could end their life knowing that they have children, a family to take care of. Uh, so um, I'm not exactly sure how it affected them as much as it did my brother that lived with me, I don't, I don't want to use names just because uh, as far as that goes, my sister Monica is the only one that I'm going to use her name with it, so I just want to let you know that. Um, the brother that lived with me, he and a friend were the first ones to find my dad in fall of 87 when he had hung himself. Um, and I have vivid memories of my brother and his friend and my myself and my mom just running back and forth between the bedroom and the kitchen, just trying to process, did this really happen? Is this really what we, we have found? Um, and even to this day, I still can see him hanging. It's uh, something that I tried to drown out with drugs and alcohol as a teenager, um, and that didn't help. <laughs> I still can see it. And... The only thing that fills that void is God. As a child, it's very hard to try to understand why a parent doesn't feel that you're, you're enough. Um, I asked that question so many times. Why wasn't I enough? Why, why didn't my dad think that I was enough to stay alive? And in that, it caused bitterness and anger in me as a child. Um, and for me, whenever I was, I was so young when it happened, maybe I, even though I didn't know what was going on, I wasn't mature enough to fully understand the magnitude of the situation. So as I grew and, and matured, I 
asked a lot of questions. How come I can't have a normal family? You know, all the I see friends in school who have parents and they're going on these vacations, and I never experienced anything like that because my mom struggled to on one income to take care of our family, and we were constantly at grandparents or at our aunt's house because my mom was working. And so I felt abandoned even more because my mom was constantly trying to provide for us. Um, I spent, you know, four or five years after my dad passed just building a wall. I didn't want to open up to anyone. I didn't want to share my feelings despite being made to go to therapy. I didn't want to talk about it. One thing that I definitely want to relay is that when you have depression, anxiety, all these pressures in life, the sorrow, this anger, it doesn't end when you end your life. It gets passed on to your daughter. It gets passed on to your wife or your husband, your family, your parents. They all take on that sorrow. They all take on that pain, that anxiety, and then they have to live with it. It's not something that ends when you end your life at all. I said, I'm not gonna, I know I'm not going to be able to heal or have a normal life. So instead I turned to drugs, alcohol, and I went rogue. I, I spent four years in high school. Despite being an A student, I was also an addict. The drugs, the alcohol, nothing changed it. Nothing. I think of um, the sermon that Pastor did a few weeks ago with the little toys in the box, and I knew that all too well. I just, I've been there. I've been through it. I've tried to fill that box with things that don't matter, and it doesn't work. <laughs> it doesn't work at all. It just is is something that I have searched for answers for for years and never found answers for, at least not in the places that I was searching. It wasn't until God actually blessed me with a daughter that I realized the magnitude of it all, that being a parent was a really big responsibility. Having Cassidy save me got me away from drugs and alcohol got me back into church. Despite being raised in a Baptist church, there was not this push to delve into the Word. There wasn't this push to learn more. Um, I always felt like it was um, a judgment show going on Sunday. It wasn't what it is for me today. Um, to be able to worship really has been like therapy for me. Um, Anytime that I'm feeling sad or just anxiety about anything, I just whip out my guitar and start singing. And that has been the, the best thing for me is just praising, just praising God. Even when it feels like the walls are coming in at me, when it feels like there is no hope, just praise God. Without Him, I couldn't have made it this far. So in um, the summer of 2011, I 
found someone on Facebook and I looked at her and I knew that she was my niece. Um, so I reached out to her and in that found that I had three nieces and two nephews. And so my sister and I have gotten close since then. Her name is Monica and I, I love her very dearly. And I'm so glad that she and I have reconnected. Um, while my family was in Oregon, um, I got a call from her. It was uh, December 1st of 2017, and I knew something was wrong because she texted me really early in the morning, and when I called her, she had told me that my oldest nephew, Zach, had shot himself. And it was just really hard knowing that my sister had already dealt with our dad, but then also her son. And my thoughts went to his daughter, who at the time was not even two years old, thinking all the thoughts that I thought, why wasn't I good enough? Why didn't my dad, you know, make a different decision because he loved me? And thinking that she's going to go through all these things, these same thoughts that I went through. It, it's just very hard to understand how someone could do that and think logically, and I think back to the things that my dad did, and I didn't find out till much later. I knew that he was a social drinker, but I didn't realize that he actually was an alcoholic. He also was using amphetamines, and between depression, anxiety, drugs, and alcohol, there is no logic, there is no reason. You have no ability to make logical decisions. And I feel like that that also has, is what Zach went through too. I don't know for sure. It just breaks my heart to know that my sister has dealt with this doubly. I know that she relies on God as well because there is no, there is no filling that void without him. One thing that I really wanted to touch on is potential days. Um, when somebody makes this decision, they end all potential days. And what I mean by that is walking me down the aisle, seeing grandchildren born, taking your grandson fishing. You end all those potential days when you make this decision. It, it, I know that it's probably hard to reason why you shouldn't do it if you're in the midst of that. But there are all these potential things that you're not thinking of when you're in that depth of sorrow, of pain, of anger, depression, anxiety. You have to reach God reach out, call out, scream out for him to help you through that because you are missing out on so much. Amanda, you've mentioned a, a couple of times that it, in both in the case of your father and then of your nephew, it just doesn't make sense. And could you kind of speak to, do you think that in those situations, they were in so much pain and agony, emotional, spiritual distress that they weren't able to reason they weren't able to, to think logically about this decision that they were making. 
I I do think that that they couldn't reason because of they they were in so much pain. Um, I actually sat down and talked with my mom about this while she was in the hospital a few days ago, and she told me that for the first time in a long time she opened up because we haven't really talked about it a lot. Um, she told me that my dad was really stressing bills, and that was something that was upsetting him. That was co the cause of a lot of his anxiety was, they're going to turn our electricity off. And to me, that just seems really <laughs> absurd to think, you know, I, I should just kill myself because they're going to turn my electricity off. Um, so obviously, he was in a lot of pain and couldn't reason why, you know, why he should live or why, you know, he shouldn't kill himself. Um, um, I, I, again, I can't understand. I can't understand it. Um, I look into my children's eyes and know that I have to be this pillar. I have to be an example, show them how to love God, how to reason how to deal with these problems that we face every day. Mandy, you spoke of potential days and when someone takes their life, they they lose the opportunity to enjoy all potential days. Do you think that in those moments when they're experiencing that agony, do you think your your dad could see or even think on or recognize the potential days that were ahead? No, I don't think he did see those potential days. But I'm, I'm very thankful that my brother, who is uh, seven years older than me, the one who lived with us at the time, um, you know, he's been uh, one of my best friends. So he was there. He was there when my kids were born. He was there when Michael and I got married. Even amidst the chaos of the day that it happened, that there was hope that God sent someone to help. I had, I do have a memory of the day that my dad did this, and it was my grandfather who came and scooped me up and took me for a walk because he didn't want me to see them taking my father out on the gurney. He was my hope that day. And he became a fatherly figure throughout my life until he passed away in 2006, um, 2008. Um, but he was the one, my grandparents were the one that continued to take me to church, to teach me about God, to teach me that there is hope beyond this devastation. Mandy, if you could just take a moment and for the person that might watch this, hear this, that they've lost someone to suicide, what would you want to say to them? You are not alone. You are not the only person that's dealt with this, but I beg you to reach out to your friends, to your loved ones. Don't let this continue. If you see someone struggling, reach out to them, help them, bring God into their lives. I've always had a hard time talking about it, so I've always just put up this wall. 
instead of talking to people about my experience and what my family's went through with this. Um, I don't recommend putting up that wall. It just makes it worse. There are several things that have brought healing for me. Um, becoming a parent myself, knowing what my dad has missed out on, um, how beautiful it is to see my children and to see them grow. Um, I, actually, as I was preparing for this video, I was going through pictures. And over the years, those pictures have dwindled. And there are very few left. I don't have a lot of memories of him. And the ones I do have are vivid and terrible. Um, I, ha I have the memory of him the day that we found him. But I also have memories of him, you know, arguing with my mom. And so I don't have a lot of good memories. Um, and it's a shame that I can't talk to my children about him because most of the things that I can tell them about him are, are really terrible. <laughs> I wish that we had some more time together so that we could make more memories. Going through all of this has really taught me to rely on God, to have the faith that no matter what happens, everything is going to be okay. No matter if they turn our vectoran off, no matter if, you know, a tornado comes through and destroys our house, we will still have God and he will still take care of us just as he takes care of the birds in the field. And that is a, a faith that I never could really comprehend as a child. Even learning about it, it didn't make sense to me until I had to just jump off that cliff and fully rely on him. Okay. Yeah. I have pictures. I'll send those to you after we're finished. I think we covered everything. Do you have a lighthearted question that we want to start off with, or do we want to just yeah? Get, so get heavy? so the whole thing super heavy. I'm at. I pray for the both teams of force. It's gonna be a very emotionally taxing um, service. Yeah, just super heavy. There's a couple jokes I tried to work into my message. Just try to give us some moments of brevity in there, which is interesting. Um, you're in the 9:30 service. The 9:30 service always laughs at my jokes more than the 11 o'clock service. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Ashley's uh, pretty good to count on for a good laugh at a joke, so maybe it's because she's hearing it for the first time in the 9.30. Uh, she often hears it both, but I don't know. It just seems like the 9.30 laughs at my jokes more mm -hmm. than the 11 o'clock. Do you ever pull that card in the 11 o'clock? You're like, well, this is a big hit in the 9.30. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, no I, I haven't done that. Um, <laughs> I was actually listening to... Uh, Stecklin on that that message that I referenced in the and he actually the the service that he's in he's like you guys are my favorite because it was like the five o'clock service time he's like you guys are my favorite and I was just thinking to myself like I know he says that to every service <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> all right well we'll dive in um so heavy subject starting a heavy series yeah of uh, issues that um, 
are just really prevalent in our community and in kind of just culture right now. Yeah, worldwide. Yeah, but whenever we did Break the Chains last year, that kind of was a felt need that um, probably everyone knew to some extent, but I think it was really apparent whenever we saw the turnout of like social media response and then people showing up in the service. And it was at that service that you kind of gauged the interest for the future of right. like, what would be some other topics that are like this that we don't even realize that we're ignoring. Right. Uh, and one of them that came up was suicide. So yeah. And there were a few that people mentioned, but suicide was like far and away above the, uh, the others. You know, like there was a handful of others, um, but suicide was like clearly the predominant topic that, that people thought we should talk about. So. And that has to be because it's something that everybody knows about, but few people are talking about. Right. right? Yeah. And like, and it makes sense in one sense, like you're not going to put a newspaper headline about it or you're not going to like, I don't know, you're not, you're not going to watch things that really explore the implications of suicide and that type of thing. But if it feels like there aren't even really conversations going on between individuals, why do you think that is? If you read a lot of obituaries, which because I'm a pastor and I often get called on to speak, you notice kind of euphemisms that are used in obituaries. And probably the two things that are most common that the obituary just kind of use euphemisms for is overdose and suicide. Very few people include that a person died by overdose in an obituary, and the same is true for suicide. And I think it's just there's there's this feeling of shame in that it's there's this feeling of they don't want to dishonor the person that has passed and even they feel guilt in disagreeing with that person's final decision so they feel guilt in disagreeing with this person's final decision to shoot up and get high which led to their death or their final decision in choosing to end their life and i think there's this kind of a a part of it's like this respect for the dead type thing, don't want to speak ill of the dead, don't want to speak ill of someone who's passed away. So I think that's part of it. I think the other part of it is there's so many unanswered questions. So if, if I bring up that somebody passed away from suicide, there are immediately several questions that are going to follow that that probably I don't have answers to. Or were they going through something? What happened? Did they have a history of mental illness? Those kind of things. And even if I do have the answers to those questions, they're not things I necessarily want to talk about. And so I think because they, it brings all of these other questions, it brings all this other baggage with it, it's easier just to avoid the subject. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but those conversations are taking place, um, at least I know they are among students, because I know that that's happened in our community, and I've heard students talk about it. And so it happens on some level, but I think people who could probably speak um, speak to it the best aren't having the conversations it's more so like oh well, I'm gonna google it right. and I find out about it or I'm gonna message my buddy on Instagram and find out about it instead of like coming to sources that are really gonna bring shed light on the on the subject and not just kind of speculate yeah so a, a really important application for parents in this situation is that just because your kids aren't talking about this with you doesn't mean that they're not talking about it. Right. And uh, I actually heard, it's been some time ago, that a Masters of Scale podcast with this lady who basically, she recognized that there were a lot of people 
they were Googling, they were searching things about suicide. And so she developed, it was, it was like suicide hotline, but for texting and, um, and she developed all of this like group of volunteer counselors and, and, and that kind of thing. But what she recognized is because that a lot of students were dealing with this and they would be more apt to text a counselor about this than call someone that they didn't know or that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you mentioned that at one point in the church uh, slash just culture in general in the Western world, um, and not even just the Western world, um, this has been pretty predominant in most cultures, is that you see any ailment, um, anything that takes place. Uh, if it's bad, then that's like an evil spirit. Right. If it's good, then like God's had favor on you. Right. Um, and you, you mentioned some kind of silly examples. What were what were some of those? Um, yeah. If you if you have a cough, that's really a demon. Right. That's why you say bless you. Right. You're exactly. To get rid of the demon. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, if you have twins, you're probably a witch. Or um, kind of the idea that some people had about bloodletting was bloodletting was letting the bad blood or the demonic blood or the spirits in your blood out, you know, to get them out of your body. You know? Right. So at one point, it, the the understanding of evil um, powers in this world was predominant and seen in every little thing in life. Right. And now we've overreacted to that and we don't see anything spiritual about anything that happens. How do you think we come to a balanced idea of the physical and spiritual? We understand that, yeah, there are there is like science behind it. We can we can understand things from a psychological perspective, from the fact that there are um, certain things going on in our brains. But there's also we're not simply material creatures. There's something deeply spiritual and metaphysical going on. So. I think this kind of speaks to that whole, we have this false dichotomy, this false understanding that, that science and religion don't coexist, that they're in opposition of one another. Right. And so there's this mindset that if, if we give science an inch, that is an inch we take away from religion. Right. If we give credit to science, then that's credit we have to take away from religion and vice versa. And the truth is that these two things are commingled. And when you talk to scientists, I think what you find is that their science doesn't cause them to lack faith in God. It often leads to a faith in God. It often helps them see, like, the wonder of God. And there are things that science can answer. There are things that uh, points them to, like, wow, this is amazing or majestic how all this all comes together. So I think that having an understanding that these two things can mingle. And so um, God is at, at work in the midst of the natural. And so I think we have that understanding. So like a topic that we just covered in the service from Sunday, it's not a, I don't have to say like, hey, suicide is a spiritual problem. It can be a physical thing too. And so that, I didn't want anybody to feel like I'm downplaying the physical issues that are at work here the chemical imbalances, the hormonal issues, all of that comes to play. And so um, just because I'm going to talk about the spiritual because that's where that's where I'm coming from, um, that doesn't mean that the other is of no importance. C.S. Lewis talks about people who only see the world as a material world. It's just the, the things that 
make up the world. What we can see and sense with our five senses, those are the things that exist and nothing else. And we have to understand the world in that way. Said so that they're kind of like a person who goes to see a play, right? And obviously in a play, you, you want to understand the story and you're watching the story and being caught up in the acting and like understanding what's going on. But uh, the materialist, the one who's only looking at what they can sense with the five senses is like the person who's just kind of studying the, the props on the stage and they're they're looking at this uh, actor's clothing and they're they're looking at so many of the little details going on on the stage and like how they're set up that they miss the the story uh-huh. it's like helpful to see those things and they right. aid in this, the telling of the story but you can't focus on the the really tiny details and then miss like the, the the whole point of those details right. was just to tell the story. Right. And we we can do the same thing. We can focus on simply the neurons firing off and like what's going on psychologically and all the things going on in our mind and miss the fact that there's there's something bigger at play here. Like the, there's a, a a grand story of redemption. There's a there's a reason why these things are not going well. But it helps to, to know the psychology behind it. But they have right. to be they have to work together to have like this cohesive narrative of the world. Right. I think what we see throughout scripture is that God gives us these principles and truths and promises, but he's constantly giving them to us in the context of narrative. Mm. The stories of people's lives, of nations, of his promised nation, of his promised people, um, and how they're living out these principles, giving us bad examples and good of how they come to plan our lives. Right, yeah. And whenever we come to know Jesus, we're uni- uniting our story with Christ. And so our right. narrative is no longer one that leads to death at every turn, but rather one that leads to a, a death of our old selves and a, a resurrection in right. Christ. Right. One day, uh, a literal resurrection um, in Jesus. Yeah. But it's a uniting of our story with mm-hmm. this. Yeah. So we have to have that understanding of both the physical and spiritual to be able to, to properly deal with the subject of suicide. So we understand that there's, there's faulty hardware um, that can make a person prone to what you referred to as the halt, catch, fire um, command. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So halt, catch, fire is, is, is kind of a euphemism for a computer command. Early in the days of programming, basically there were weaknesses in computers hardware and software where you could give it a command that the computer would destroy itself in, a, in its attempt to execute the command, it would destroy itself. They used the term halt and catch fire. That wasn't what you'd actually plug into the computer. They didn't want you to know what it was because they didn't want you to do damage to computers. And so it was just like a euphemism, a term for that. Um, but there were computers that they had these weaknesses. And if you entered that command, it would basically, you would have to cut power to the computer or it would destroy itself. Right. Um, and you said that there are physically and psychologically people who are kind of in that mode mm-hmm. and they, they, they undergo some type of circumstance or have something that goes wrong um, in their head that makes them prone towards that command. But ultimately, they're still in, in this situation with the computer. Someone still has to like actually initiate that. Right. Right. Yeah. So there's there's someone who makes a choice at some point. There's also this idea, so we, we think about choices, and the most common way that that's portrayed, I can remember in cartoons, all the way growing up, like anytime there's a choice of, 
of good or bad. You've got the angel on one shoulder, or Jesus, or, and then the devil on one shoulder, right. or a demon, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and you said that that's actually not the right way to look at it, but rather the devil is on both shoulders. Right. Um, and can you explain kind of the cycle, that uh, this spiral that that puts you into? Yeah, so Satan's on one shoulder telling you it's not a big deal, or it's okay, or that the people won't know to convince you to do this thing. And then once you do this thing or you break this command or you participate in this sin, um, he then is on the other shoulder and and he is the one bringing condemnation and telling you that you're worthless and I can't believe you did this and if people only knew. And then because he gets you to this place of pain, he then goes back to the other shoulder and he uses that as a justification for why you should engage in it again or why you should engage in this other thing or take it to a greater degree to soothe the pain or the grief or the guilt that you feel. And then he goes on the other side and he does it again and it just builds and it builds and it builds. And the, the same concept, the whole catch fire, what it would tell a computer to do is to constantly incrementally increase its processing until it burnt to the ground. And that's what Satan does. He just constantly, incrementally builds this grief, pain, despair in our lives until we come to a breaking point. Yeah, so if we know that there is, there are people who are more prone or closer to this halt, catch, fire command, but there's still a choice to be made. And then we also know that literally every single person deals with this of um, being tempted to perform a bad action and then whatever the, the bad action, the evil action, the, the action that's going to lead to death and destruction to those around them and, or to their own self, mm-hmm. um, sometimes both. Whenever that happens, it doesn't end there. It's not just the action, but rather leads to the shame and isolation that comes with that and then leads to further um, actions in that way. If we know that there are people around us and sometimes even ourselves who are dealing with that, how can we be sensitive um, to this reality uh, without making them feel shame and feel like they have to be isolated? How can we how can we speak truth and love in this situation, but be there for people and be a listening ear? Right. So, so inclusivity is like the big thing for our culture. Um, I feel like probably inclusivity is like the number one value our culture has, right? Like that's the number one value. Right. And so um, what's what's bad about that is that inclusivity in and of itself does not bring healing, right? Admittance into the hospital does not bring healing. It's the dealing with of sin. Um, when we have this idea that... Um, we have to be all welcoming um, and that to be all welcoming, there is no correction or guidance or truth. Then we're just, we're just playing into that spiral, yeah. right? Because we're, we're just encouraging people to go back to the other side of do it some more. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're pretending as if the guilt and condemnation are there. And it is, yeah. we're, we're hiding the guilt and condemnation and it, it is present. We're just helping people ignore it so they can just continue further and further into that spiral. So we we have to lead with love. And and that's something we try to do really well here at our church is make every when somebody walks in the door, we know that whatever wherever they're at in the story that God is trying to write in their lives, whatever it is that he's trying to do, um, 
we want them to know that they're loved and they're welcome here. But when but when we share truth, we don't hold back from difficult subjects. And that's the reason we're talking about suicide. Um, we don't hold back from naming sin and calling out sin. And then we always respond to that with grace. And so while Satan has this spiral that he tries to work in of lead into sin, condemn with, with guilt and shame, for us it's show love, give truth, show love, give truth, grace and truth, grace and truth, back and forth. And it's this, whereas evil will try to lead us into this vicious cycle, this is a virtuous cycle that leads towards health. Right. But it's always going to start with listening yeah, and not condemnation. Right. Is that if you start with condemnation, no one's ever going to want to talk to you. Sure. Um, and this isn't just listening in the sense that you like hear somebody out and then you're like, all right, well, you're wrong. You're, like, you're, you're evil and a right. sorry person. Right. <laughs> but listening without an agenda, uh, listening to hear someone out and to understand where someone's coming from, which is tough. It's tough mm-hmm. to hold back, mm-hmm. but it's, it's holding back and it's just asking questions yeah. and trying to rephrase what someone said and put it into your own words so that you truly understand them. And once you understand someone, then you can really understand how to apply the gospel to them and how, how to speak truth in their life. And until that point, you're just trying to like slap band-aids right. like, on, you don't know how big this wound is. You don't know like exactly what needs to be applied, but you're just like, yeah, I don't know about this subject. So here's a verse. Right. And like that's, yeah, it's never going to be effective. Right. Yeah. That makes me think of, um, our revival message that Corey Mender shared. He talked, he was talking about hypocrites and he, he just, he, he kind of really made it clear before he got into that, that people think of the Pharisees as Jesus rivals. But you make clear, Jesus loved these guys. Mm. He loved these hypocrites. Yeah. And you I mean, you think about it, Jesus engaged them in conversation and talked with them. And obviously they weren't responsive like his disciples were, but, and there were times that he had to speak harshly to them, but Jesus kept engaging them. Yeah. You know? And we, we talked about how, um, to go deeper in scripture with this. And you immediately went to the Psalms, um, and I think rightfully so. But why why do you feel like the Psalms uh, do a good job of speaking to this subject? Yeah, so if you read the Psalms, what you find is that the poet the poets, David and, and, and all the poets, they wrote um, just honest from the heart, very transparent, very open, very raw a lot of times. And and they didn't hold back of what they were feeling and experiencing, you know? And so, um, in those, in those poems that are in the Psalms, you can really see them experience, when you read the Psalms, you can, you can identify, you can relate mm-hmm. to the things that they're writing about mm-hmm. the way that a song you can relate to a song, you know? And, um, and many of the Psalms are very open and honest about, not understanding what God's doing, being disappointed in the way that God is working or how long God is taking, being impatient with what God is doing. Um, and so, yeah, I felt like the Psalms was 
very appropriate. And there's so much more that we could have included in today's service that we, you know, we couldn't. And like I said, I hoped it was kind of the beginning of the conversation for some people. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but the Psalms, all right. Yeah, the Psalms show us that uh, you can bear all before God. Yeah, that's well said. In a mm-hmm. way that you can't, like, we in a way that rarely happens here on Earth, right? Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. we're hardly ever fully known by someone, although we're we're designed for that relationship. Sin causes shame and isolation, and because of that, we we rarely feel like we're in a relationship uh, with someone where we're actually able to bear all. Right. But the psalmists bear all yeah. before God because God knows them. Yeah. Like he knew the psalmists know that this is their creator and to, to try and hide things before God. It's completely ineffective. This is the one who designed you, the one who knew you before you were ever born. And because of that, we're able to share with God. Yeah. And be fully known by him. Our frustrations, our our joy, every season of life can be bo- born before God. Yeah. Um, and that's that's what we're going to read now in Psalm fifty five. Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not thyself from my supplication. Attend unto me and hear me. I mourn in my complaint and make a noise because of the voice of the enemy, because of the opposite. The oppression of the wicked, for they cast iniquity upon me, and in wrath they hate me. My heart is sore pained within me, and the terrors of death are fallen upon me. Fearfulness and trembling are upon me, and horror hath overwhelmed me. And I said, Oh, that I had wings like a dove, for then I would fly away and be at rest. Lo, then I would wander off and remain in the wilderness. Selah. I would li- I would hasten my escape from the windy storm. And tempest. Destroy, O Lord, and divide their tongues, for I have seen violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go up about it upon the walls thereof. Mischief also and sorrow are in the midst of it. Wickedness is in the midst thereof. Deceit and guile depart not from her streets. For it was not an enemy that reproached me, then I could have borne it. Neither was it that hated me that did magnify myself against me. Then I would have hid myself from him, but it was thou, a man mine equal, my guide, and mine acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked under the house of God in company. Let death seize upon them, and let them go down quick into hell, for wickedness is in their dwellings and among them. As for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me. Evening and morning and at noon will I pray and cry aloud he shall hear my voice. He hath delivered my soul in peace from the battle that was against me, for there were many with me. God shall hear and afflict them, and even he that abideth of old. See that. Because they have no changes, therefore they fear not God. He hath put forth his hands against such as be at peace with him. He hath broken his covenant. The words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet were they drawn swords. Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. But thou, O Lord, shalt bring them down into the pit of destruction. 
bloody and deceitful men shall not live out half their days, but I would trust in thee. Yeah, so I think you can really see oh, he just bears mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. He's not holding back um, any feelings, any frustrations, but just letting God know uh, what bothers him, what um, has been causing pain. Um, a friend has betrayed him. Mm-hmm. Right. He says, like, I, I'd be able to bear it from an enemy or someone who hates me, but this is someone that I go to the house of the Lord with. Yeah, it's my companion, my guide. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it doesn't matter your situation. Uh, it can be brought before the Lord. And we can cast our cares on them. Right. Thank you.